Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And now that heart is beating fast And that's the rhythm I can dance to I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to That one big heart that's beating fast Tomorrow morning let it rain Tomorrow morning let it pour Tonight we're in the groove together Ain't gonna worry about Stormy Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out all trouble and drum. Beat out all trouble and drum. Welcome to Radical Australia and Community Radio 3CR. Streaming live on 3cr.org.au. It's May Day, the 1st of May. And uh, the powers that be at 3CR thought we would, should have a prominent trade unionist in the studio. So, uh, good afternoon, Mr. Kevin Bracken. How are thou? Very good, thanks, Joe. Yeah, look, uh, you realise most of our listeners didn't know who Kevin Bracken is. <laughs> they should. If they were down at the MUA dispute, they should have known, but they won't. They forget. Well, it's all right. Yeah. I agree with you. A lot of people don't know me. Exactly. Probably a good Well, they thing. should. They yeah. should. In my opinion, they should. <laughs> they should, because uh, I think you're one of the uh, most uh, radical of the trade unionists we have in this country at the minute. And uh, it's a pity that that old breed seems to have disappeared these days, but we'll talk about that later on. Now, Kev, what's the first thing you remember about being on planet Earth? Well, I suppose being home. What does that mean? With a family. Yeah. What does that I, was, mean? I was born in South Melbourne. Yep, yep. And um, yeah, we had a pretty close family. We had cousins and we had, you know, mm. grandparents and uncles and aunties all living close. So I suppose, you know, things used to be a lot more community um, right. around the place. You knew people in your street and you knew people in the area mm. and you all helped each other. We, had, we didn't have a uh, lock on our door. We went away to holiday. In South to, Melbourne. In South Melbourne. Right. We went to um, holiday in Rosebud one year and my dad had to nail the front door up. There was no, didn't there was trust no the locks on there. Did it, yeah. Well, until it seems we going away for a week. <laughs> you never know. What but no one walked in the front door. Everyone knew you walked up the sideway. Right, right. So how many brothers and sisters did you have? I've got one brother and three sisters. Right. Yeah. And uh, your dad, what type of work did he do? He's a car- he was a carpenter. Carpenter. Yeah. Right. Was he born here in uh, Melbourne? or? Yeah, he was born in, um, in South Melbourne too. In so, South Melbourne. Yeah. And how about his father? Was he born in South Melbourne his too? His father was Irish and yeah. he came out here in the... Um, he was a, Member of the Irish Republican Brotherhood. Ah, the Brotherhood. Him and his right. brother came out, yeah. collect, you know, and organised the money for for them. Yeah, yeah. In the early part of you know, in 1910, around that 1910, yeah. 1912. So, yeah, yeah. his brother went back to Ireland, and then he um, fired a shot like three weeks before the Easter uprising, because yeah. Patrick Pearce had said, "We don't want anyone handing their weapons in. We've got a right to hand them." So, they were at a Sinn Fein meeting. The police came in and said, "Hand over your weapons," and he shot the policeman. So, and he was on the run since then. From then, from then. and yeah, Patrick Payne when he heard, he said, "This is a great things happened in the name of Irishmen to bear arms." So, and that was just before he started rising. He was part of. He was part of. Looked after the brigade on uh, O'Connell's Bridge. Yeah, and how about how about your grandfather? My grandfather was a stonemason. Yeah, and um, yeah, he stayed out here and. Yeah, his family in South Melbourne too. So, in South Melbourne. But it was in Montague, actually. So mm. Montague was a very, mm. pretty tough, staunch area. Right. What was your dad's name? 
Joseph. He's still still alive? No, he's died a few years ago. He's yeah. 92. 92. He had yeah. a good innings then. Yeah, he did, yeah. yeah how about he your kept mar- away from the doctors. <laughs> don't blame him. You don't go to the doctors unless you're sick. Uh, when he was in his 80s, we said, you've got to go to the doctors. He went to the doctors and he said, what medication are you on? He goes, no. well, the medication. He goes, what? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> it's a good place to keep away from. Yeah. But yeah. no, he was, he was terrific and he helped us out when he retired from work because he was, went in the Second World War and uh, he helped everyone's build two or three extensions on all the family's houses. Right. And what was his name? Joe Bracken. Joe Bracken. Yeah. Just like... Oh, Joseph Caseman Bracken, Bracken, actually. Joseph Caseman. Right. Yeah. Named after... Yeah. And your Roger mum? Caseman. What was her name? Lillian... Lillian Francis. Right. Ah, uh, Lillian um, Margaret. And she's still alive? Yeah. No, she's died too. She was 92 when she She was 92 too. Yeah. Well, that's... A so g- they had a good innings. Well, you, you, you got good genes. And unless <laughs> something happens to you, like, a, you know, a load falls on your head, you should get to 90 quite easily. Quite yeah. So where'd you go to primary school? I went to uh, St. Joey's, uh, St. Peter and Paul's, South Melbourne. Right. So, yeah, yeah, that was a primary school, and I went to St. Joey's Tech after that, so yeah, well, it was well, a, just across the road from itself, so it was only about three blocks from... Yeah, were your parents yeah. religious? They were, yeah. They yeah. were. Did they were go, Catholics, yeah. yeah. Did you go to church on Sunday? I did, yeah. What, every Sunday? Well, yeah, <laughs> still I got a bit older. <laughs> like what? <laughs> well, I suppose when I was... Yeah, 13, 14, yeah. Uh, and then my mum got smart. She said, well, who's, which priest said mass today? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I'd walk into church and then walk out again. Walk again. <laughs> Just so I know who was <laughs> saying mass. You, you didn't go with the family in the church? No, nah, no. Nah. Uh, what was what was uh, tech college like? Yeah, it was pretty tough, actually. Was it Joey's tough? Tech? Well, right? what was it? That's in South Melbourne, isn't in it? In South Melbourne, yeah. What was tough about it? No, all the teachers were tough. Yeah. yeah. You know, they give you a clip across the years, pretty quickly. Uh, uh, yeah, got the strap, you know, uh, and all uh, those things. So, yeah, it didn't muck around. So how long did you last? I went there for five years, yeah. Five years? You got yeah. to grade 11? I got to grade 11, yeah. 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 Why yeah. wouldn't you do year 12? Uh, well, I did get a, I got a Commonwealth scholarship, actually, because right, right. I could have gone on, but yeah. I had a social life to fund, so I wanted to start working and earn some money. Right. So what year was this that you left, left 1973. High school? 1973. Oh, that was a great time to leave high school. Yeah, you know, it was, Tech yeah. college, yeah. <laughs> so... What did you? I won't ask you about your social life. I don't want to embarrass your wife and kids. Thanks, mate. Right. But uh, what trade did you fall into? A plumber. I'm actually plumber, plumber by trade. So plumber by trade. Yeah. You did an apprenticeship. Did an apprenticeship. Yeah. How many years? Well, it was three and a half because you. They were t- if you'd done, if you got over seventy-five in math, science, and English, yeah, it, it took six months of your apprenticeship. So I was right. a full plumber when I was nineteen years old. Yeah. 19 years old, yeah. so you'd be bringing in the money. Oh, yeah, it was, the money was okay. Well, you actually I was working for the Department of Housing Construction, so, yeah. Housing Constructions, what, you're doing the, what, the, the housing... Maintenance on all the government buildings and th- things around South Melbourne, Port Melbourne, oh, the city. Oh, oh. So when did you first join a union? Well, first shop steward I met, Brian Laddick was a uh, shop steward for the Plumbers Union. Mm. The day I met him, I signed up for, for the union. Mind you, it cost you a dollar a year when you're on a apprentice then. A dollar a year? A dollar that, a that's year. That's a huge amount. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be clearing, what, at least 75 to 100 bucks no, a I think week? I'd be getting 45 a week. Then. 45 yeah. a week, but you paid a dollar a year. Well, I need to get your young bucks in there. <laughs> so, so, well, yeah, all right. So what was it like, how long did you last in that job? Uh, for about 14 years. 14 really. years as a plumber? Yeah. So, yeah, well, as a plumber, I got married, and I started doing a few jobs for myself. What, your social life came to an end, you got married? I got yes. married, yeah, started having children. Yeah, yeah. What, what year was that? Uh, 
Now, look, I don't Nine want to 79. 79. 40 years this year, yeah. 40 years. Well, congratulations. <laughs> congratulations on your poor wife putting up with your activities. What's your wife's name? Wendy. Wendy. Well, yeah. congratulations, Wendy. He's a, he's a good bloke. You know, I've known him about 20 years, haven't <laughs> Now, going back a few steps, 14 years as a plumber. Did you get bored? No, I didn't get bored. No, I was plus with working, plus I was playing football. Plus well, who, I was are you, who are you playing football with? Port Colts. Football Port Colts. Yeah. Port, Port Colts. Yeah. Yeah, so I played with the juniors, you know, with Port Melbourne. Then yeah. So you're talking about... I never made it to Port Melbourne Football Club. I no. went to Port Colts Football Club. Port Colts. Yeah. Why didn't you make it to Port Melbourne? Well, I probably drank too much, I suppose. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> other things on me, right? <laughs> so it was more relaxed at the Colts, you know, and plus yeah. you were mate playing with friends. Yeah. yeah. Did you, did you um, have any uh, track with the union during those 14 years? Did you get involved or were you just a member? I was probably just a rank and file member. Yeah. 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 I yeah. paid me union dues and, you know, if they required us to do anything, we'd do it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't a delegate or anything. No, no. Well, there was delegates there who were, were happy to look after. Yeah. Well, yeah. Were, did you understand uh, the, the, the role of the union? And the, the yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, probably, you know, the first, more than that, as a drink while I was drinking around the hotels too. <laughs> right. We had probably more to do with the painters, not the union, so, you know. yeah. yeah. And Paddy knows, you know, we look after these boys, you know, and they end up getting any trouble, come and see us, you know. Come and see us, yeah, that's the painters and doctors, all right. Yeah. But it was a good, yeah, it was a yeah, good union, it was yeah, a good community yeah, union too, yeah. they helped each other out, basically. Yeah, when I first came to Melbourne in the uh, uh, late 1970s, I got kind of wrangled into as a doctor for some painters and doctors, you know, I won't go into that. Now, <laughs> 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 going back, so, you, um, 14 years as a plumber. Wandering from a state to a state. Yeah, well, I was long, to actually longer than that because after I, I was, as I said, I was doing a few jobs yeah, for yeah. myself to yeah. end up working for yourself for eight years. Yeah. After my own business, yeah. You did your own business for eight years. Yeah. So that's in the 80s, is it? Or it would have been, well, probably 80. Just 80, roughly. About 86, something about like that. About 86. Yeah, 87. So what, what made you go out on your own? Well, I was sort of working weekends and things and mm-hmm. was working too much and I was making a bit of money. I was doing all right, so yeah, I thought I'll yeah. give it a go. Give but, it a go. And I worked for myself. I was, did all right too. But the mm. thing is, I, I believed in helping people too. Mm-hmm. So I'd help a lot of people around there in South Melbourne and Port Melbourne didn't have as much money as what they've got now. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so I, I enjoyed helping people out. Probably mm. didn't make as much money as I, mm. as I could have, mm. but I felt mm. good about what I was doing. What did, what did you think about this when there wasn't enough money to pay the bills? <laughs> <laughs> well, I went back on the tra- I went back on the tools in in about 1992, I think. Yeah. Oh, right. So when the casino was getting built, I went yeah. back as a plumber working then, yeah. and then a job came up on the wharf, so oh, I put right. in for a casual job on the wharf and got that. Casual that was job. about 1997. Yeah. What, what made you go to the wharf? The money, I see. Well, I've always known you know, people who worked on the wharf and that too, and it was very hard to get into. I think mm-hmm. they closed the books in 1973, yeah. so no one had been taken on virtually since then. Well, there was one intake in about eight years before we were put in, but yeah. they were the only ones who joined since then because yeah, the wharf had been mechanised mm-hmm. and yep. a lot of people were made redundant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I put in for the job and... I got the job and I was wrapped because... Mm. Yeah. You, you think the name Bracken helped, you know, being a South Melbourne boy? Uh, <laughs> probably didn't... Oh, uh, it didn't, didn't, didn't go against you, did it? Nah. Well, no. Well, at the time, but the yeah. union was wasn't, was lost a little power yeah. from what they used to have, you know? Yeah. yeah. So years ago, they could give half the names, you know? Yeah. At that time, it wasn't so... They, yeah. A lot of the power had sort of been lost, taken away from them. So when you joined the union in uh, Maritime 
they work at what do you have an apprentice phase of six months or so or was it well, we, we started as casual, so we right. just day labour anyway. Yeah, day labour. So right. you, got, you got your orders a day before if you're working. Yeah, and yeah. when we did start working, mm. we were hardly getting any work. You know, yeah. we worked. We did a, we did a training for about six weeks. Yeah. You know, forklift training, straddle training, clerical yeah. training, yeah. Yeah. and then um, yeah. But we finished training probably. Yeah, we started in. I started actually on St Patrick's Day in seventeenth oh, of March. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, in um, seventy nine, and then. We weren't getting much work. I know in August that year I had two shifts for the whole month. Two shifts. Yeah. So at that time How my many kids, kids were young. Four. Four. Yeah. So oh. we had uh, like 14, 12, 10, 8. You had four kids and yeah. you got two shifts for a month. Yeah. And then, so I suppose, yeah, when they, they started going on the radio and saying these people are earning 90000 a year and they work 14 hours a week, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It made my blood boil, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't the case, yeah. you know. And they just put this rubbish out. So well, what rubbish? What, what are you talking about? Oh. Nobody, everybody's forgotten what you're talking about. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, the stuff of Peter Reeford coming out with day after day. Yeah, so what was Peter trying to do? Good oh, old Peter. He can't yeah. be. Has he died? I know he's had a major stroke. I don't know if he's still lying around somewhere. Yeah. But I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, but th- th- that was the famous uh, blokes with the masks, wasn't the big blokes with the masks? And yeah. yeah down, down. So that what happened, I suppose, in Melbourne was the first place which... Mm. Yeah, you know, where it happened mm. because it started in the end. Of, I think it was about the twenty twenty eighth of January. Mm. The shift at uh, Web Dog had been cancelled, yep. so and we knew mm. all this stuff had been building up over months. Yeah. Well, actually, I went to a state conference, and we, you know, it's really for the MUA, mm. and that was in about September October that year. And actually, what had happened then? NSS, I think, were up in uh, North Queensland and had a they sacked all the works and had a scab union in there. Mm. And um, while the conference was on, there was a ship that was about to sail in. And I think um, it was John, oh, John Coombs was the secretary. Yep. He goes, yep. hang on. So while he's talking, yep. you know, he's getting phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> a few people had rang up the ship's captain who was on the way in there yeah. from a few other wharfs around the world too. Yeah. And he decided yeah. not to pull a ship <laughs> into, yeah. into North Queensland. So it was a fantastic victory. And it's a wonderful feeling you know, yeah. to be with people. And now you, you know, you're under attack like that. Right. And you've got... Support from other places. So at this conference, world. this was '92, was it '93? No, it would have been '97. '97. Yeah. So you, yeah. what, you've been in the docks about three or four years. I've probably only been on four or five months. Yeah, four, four or five months. So yeah. what were you doing yeah. at this this conference? Well, it was in Victorian Branch Conference. I said, you want to come along, come and listen to so it. So anybody could come and as an observer. And file members could come. come. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, all right. So it's a good thing about the union. You know? It's yeah. inclusive. Even casuals can stand for any position or anything, and they get the full. We'll, we'll go back. We'll go back a few steps. So you're there. '95 casual. Right, you go to this meeting, all hell breaks loose. What happens later on? Well, well, become you know. Mm. I was sort of interested anyway because I'd always been, I'd always hang around with people who worked on the wharf or mm-hmm. you know, their yeah. harvest worked well, on the wharf. You're in South Melbourne. Come on, yeah. yeah every second bloke would have yeah. been a wharfie. So yeah, I felt, and you know, so we knew this was going to come. There was going to be a dispute. Then they had the sixty minutes on, you know, about. You know, the wharfies, you know, don't even get paid. They walk off their shift before, they get, mm. before they've done anything. Yeah. And all this rhetoric coming out. And yeah. I think the number one thing in, um, for the new year of 98 was that there's going to be war on the waterfront, you know. Right. Yeah. So when in the end of January the shift got cancelled at Web Dock there, and then they said, right, I was on. So a lot of people got down there. Now let's go back to, let's go back to this. So you'd be, you'd be on the wharves now for three years. No, only Before. less than a year. Less than a year? Yeah. All right, so you're permanent by now? You're still no, casual? No, 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 casual. Still casual? Yeah. And all hell breaks loose? Yeah. But so so you're, not, you're not getting an income? You've got four kids? Well, yeah, we survive. 
they survived. Hey. All right. What did you think of that uh, dispute? Because uh, many people here at 3CR were involved in that dispute, and we, 3CR provided a lot of uh, support for the dispute. And when you walk in, you'll notice there's a, uh, a painting there about the dispute on the, on the, on the uh, front wall. Um, what did you learn during that dispute? Well, I suppose it's from when I was young. Yeah. You stick together. You know, when there's something on, you stick together. And that was, I suppose, it was for me that even stronger then, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're in dispute, people stick together, come out all right, mm-hmm. you know. Were you, were you surprised at the community support for the dispute? I was, because when the, um, we'd been having that picket down at WebDoc mm. 24 hours a day from yeah. January, yeah. and then when everyone was sacked, Mm. You know, I think it was April that year. Yeah. Um, we no longer had one picket to combine. We had four pickets to mine. There was three of these ones on dock, one at web, one at um, web dock. Mm. And I know how hard it is to keep a 24-hour picket going. Now we had four. So Tuesday, everyone's sacked. And then mm. Friday night, the police are going to come down to break the picket. Mm. So me and my good friend, uh, Dean Bonnet, we were driving down there. We said, you know, we were going to go under. We're going to go down. Yeah. We're going to go down, down swinging. So... Yeah. As we're driving down Appleton Dock Road, there's all these cars along the side. Yeah, What's going on? <laughs> when we get down to Appleton Dock, you know, to uh, Phillips Road, 3,000 people are there. You know? That's right. <laughs> exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the yeah. train line that was yeah. down there that yeah, yeah. <laughs> had been pulled up. That's right. And there was community sculptures built all the way down That's the side right. of the road. Yeah. yeah, and we had to break a Supreme Court injunction to help you bastards. I remember that. Yeah, I so mean, it, it was know, it was a Supreme Court injunction that, no trying one will, to stop people to go down there. No one will ever forget that night who was yeah. there that night. So, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and it, and the thing is, a lot of those people were old people too, you know. That's right. Yeah. yeah so old, we were standing in the front row and they said, no, you've got to get back. And Joan Kerner and yeah, the all the women people. all the yeah. women are standing up in front of you. That's right. There's no brownie points in beating up old people. That's the only good thing about being an activist who survived, I found out. We were on the steps of the uh, Institute of Public Affairs last year and all these cops turned up. There's about, what, ten of us, average age 70, you know. And all these young cops are trying to muscle us off the steps. You know, you could see the embarrassment on their faces, you know. So you did the right thing by putting the elderly and the women in the front line, Kevin. You did the right thing. Yeah. It was a fantastic night. So all night it was a, like yeah. a test of people stayed up all night. I couldn't believe it, you know. Yeah, Old yeah. people were there yeah. for the whole night. You know, the helicopters were flying over the top. We had fires going. They were beating the drum, you know. And then, you know, I think about three o'clock, the police arrived down there. Yeah, yeah. They kept marching people in front. Yeah. And probably, the, yeah, the greatest thing was on the morning, they said, <laughs> we've got 3,000 building workers down there, friend of Phillips Road. <laughs> That's right. I remember that. Yeah. So, and 3CR was fantastic. Yeah. The whole time they were broadcasting. I think probably the best thing was, at that time, trade unions and the community, you know, 3CR community groups like that were all pulling in one direction. Yeah. And it's amazing what you can do, you know, when people are prepared to work together, you know. And unfortunately, you know, the trade union movement needs to be a bit more like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, they've got no options these days because they've been basically criminalised to be a trade unionist, almost to be a criminal. Yeah. Well, everything everything you used to do to be effective as a trade unionist has been made illegal. Yeah, and that's why you need community pickets. You haven't got community pickets. There's nothing you can do, basically, unless you want to go to jail. So, yeah, it, it it is... you know, you can't do secondary boycotts, you can't pick it, you can't do this, and, and the legislation, as you know, is so uh, 
it's quite fascinating the fact that it's the individual they target, not mm. with being a martyr and going to jail, but bankrupting individuals, mm. workers. So mm. it's, it's just a horrendous legislation. Well, that's the difference, I suppose. When I was young, the unions used to be injuncted, or you know, they, the unions would be penalised. Now it's all after the individual. That's right. That's right. And so it's breaking up that, trying to break up that unity. You know? mm. Mm. And I suppose it's since the 80s, you know, we've had that deregulation of the financial system, mm. you know, privatisation of public assets. Mm. And it's changed that much in the last, you know, 30 mm. years. Mm. People who are around now don't realise that, you know, things, I believe, were much better in those days, you know. They were. We had regular jobs. Mm. We had, you know, surety about mm. service, you know. If you mm. had your power was off, you could ring them up and they'd come around and fix it up and they were confident they could do it, knew what they were doing. Mm. Nowadays, you know, you're on the phone for like 40 minutes and all those things, it was going to be cheaper, it was going to be, you know, more efficient, more efficient, more, efficient. Right. more choice. It's wrong, wrong, wrong. And all that money that used to go through government coffers is now being sent overseas yeah, in the yeah, foreign corporations' yeah, well. profits. Well, it's been 40, it's been a forty-year disaster, and I think people and it's like a, I, I describe it as a tsunami. I describe it as a you know deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation tsunami, and people are now looking around and seeing the disaster, and they're wondering what to do. But that's a, that's a different question. Did you go back to church? Uh, Kev. <laughs> I did. <laughs> when was that? I don't know. Well, I suppose when I had kids, you know, yeah. I go back. Uh, oh, I go to, did you baptise them? Yeah, they've been baptised, yeah, yeah. Confirmed? Um, yes, I have been, yeah. yeah you can I see. went to Catholic school, so. And they went to Catholic well, school? Yeah, I look at it this way. Like, I, Father Bob used to be my parish priest, so. Oh, Bobby McGuire. But he put it yeah. this way. He said that, you know, when they, Jesus was ascending into heaven, he yeah, said, yeah. you know, what's, what's it all about? They said to him, what's the thing? He said, well, <laughs> There's two things. You worship God and you help your fellow man. That's right. it. That's and it doesn't it. need to be more complicated than that. Mm, mm. So if you do those two things, you know, because my old man used to say, I wonder what happened to all the people who were burned in hell because they eat meat on Friday, you know. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's ridiculous, all these rules that people make. Uh, you know, uh, it's not too hard to work out. And, you know, whatever anyway people choose, yeah. you know, choose to look after what they have. Yeah. I believe there is a spiritual side to humanity, you know. Right, right. And I believe, personally, yeah. we're, we're spiritual beings having mm. a human experience. Right. Yeah. Now, so after the dispute in 98, you, you maintained your job as a, uh, on the walls? Well, it was even better than that. What because happened? we'd stuck together. Yeah. Um, and mind you, we won't get much work. I, I believe that the companies expect them we would have gone in and scabbed. Yeah. No one, everyone stuck fat. Because we wanted a job, but we weren't going to go and stub our workmates in the back to get one. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people were made redundant, more than what they expected. And so <laughs> we got made the full-time. You got full-time. Full-timers. <laughs> so people got, took their pack- packages and went, basically. Yeah, they took their... But I'll tell you what happened. Right. Is that when, What they'd done is that they'd, when they uh, got rid of all the docks labour, and, and Margaret Thatcher did it in the mm-hmm. 80s, you know, yeah. they used to be employed by the government. And what they said was, all right, you're no longer employed by the government when we're finishing it all up, and they sent them a cheque for £48,000, you know. Mm-hmm. And most people, you could have sent your cheque back if you wanted to, but you mightn't have a job anyway, so everyone kept their £48,000, mm-hmm. and the whole waterfront was casualised, because mm-hmm. they went back and worked casual then, yep. apart from Liverpool. And what happened, they did the same thing with us. When they sacked everyone on that Tuesday night before Easter, they said to them, is a 1-800 number, ring up here and find out how much. And people had a lot of money. We're talking about like $300,000 yeah. they were going to get. Yeah. And think, you know, at that time, houses were worth like 120000 yep. You know, It was that's a lot of money. real money, yeah. They had less than five people ring that number. And that's where they knew they were stuffed because yeah. they were never, ever going to get the scabs to get in there 
as much as they'd bagged out, how many boxes they were doing, mm. 20 boxes an hour or something, yeah. they were doing like eight an hour in there. Yeah. It was never, ever going to be them. It was everyone getting paid out and mm. come back as a casual, work for 18 bucks an hour, no penalty rates, no roster or anything mm. else, mm. and people stuck fat, and that's probably uh, the best thing that came out of it, you know. So we ended up in full-time job. Full-time job, yeah. So did your role in the union change after that? Well... Or were you just a a rank-and-file member? I was a rank-and-file member. Yeah. But I was reasonably active for all the Patrick's dispute was on. Mm. And then when we come back in, not everyone (laughs) wanted to be a delegate. So I found myself, no one else wants to do it, I'll be a delegate. So you're one of the delegates. I'll become a delegate, yeah. yeah. What is... What... I think maybe... Obviously, a lot of our older listeners who are unionists would know, but most young people aren't in unions. What's the role of a delegate? Well, you're representing the members on the job. So if they've got a problem with the employer, you know, you'll go and try and deal with it on your own. You'll give them advice. They might ask you, what can they do or what can't they do? So you pretty much have a, need to know what's in your agreement mm. and what you can do. If, you, if you've got too much, you can bring up the official and say, you know, we need a chop out here or that. Mm. So but you're representing the it, members. Is it a voluntary position? It's a, yeah, it's a voluntary position. It's a voluntary yeah. position. There's so no money for it. Yeah. No, so you're putting your head on the block for, for your love of your fellow <laughs> workers, basically. No wonder that nobody else wanted the job, Kevin. <laughs> you know, things had changed a bit then. So, you know, it was more, we started getting a bonus if you'd done so many boxes and things, whereas before, you yeah. know, the longer the shift went, the more people, more money people got. Yeah. So, yeah. And what the company done, they figured out how much yeah. everyone was earning yeah. and said, well, if you want that money, yeah. How much you, what have you got to do to get it? Yeah, so, yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of different. I remember my uncle, who's now dead, one of my uncles, he was a gun boner. And uh, you'd wake, I, I was living there for a while, you know, during the holidays. Every holiday season I'd go down there for a few weeks. And he'd wake up at 7, be back at 11. And I'd say, well, what's going on, Uncle Frank? And he said, he said, look, I'm a gun boner. I do my work in two and a half hours, then I come home. I get paid for eight. <laughs> a quota, yeah. So, yeah, you get a quota, but that, now it's different, you know. Yeah. They've changed it all around because yeah. you could do your work and you come home. Yeah. Well, they did They did used to have quotas at that yeah. time too. Yeah, so. yeah, you have quotas. It's just, yeah. it's just uh, you do your quota, you go home, and yeah. they want to pay you more. So the family's growing up? Yeah, the family's all growing up. So uh-huh. I've got nine grandchildren here. Nine? Yeah. Oh, do you know what the word fecund means? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it was a derogatory term that the Protestants used to use against the mix. Oh, okay. It means they were fertile. They were at it like rabbits. <laughs> you know? They were a fertile mob. You know, they were going to try to outbreed us, the Catholics. Oh. Not that I'm also a Protestant, but that's what it was. They called them fecund. And under their breath, they'd say fecund. I remember there was a Monty Python sketch once about that. So that was quite extraordinary. But the Catholic house next door where they bred like rabbits. <laughs> No, yeah. poor but happy. All right, getting back, getting back to. So, when did you make the transition from uh, delegate to a more, uh, you know, paid position in the union, Maritime Union of Australia? Well, in two thousand and three, there's elections every four years. There's elections on now for the MUA. So, so, what 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 positions are elected? Every position from Paddy yeah, can Crumble you tell us what positions? Oh, yeah, okay. So, it's national secretary, deputy secretary. Uh, assistant secretaries, there's four positions there. In Victorian branch, there's a secretary, deputy secretary, and two assistant secretaries. Right. Every position's up for grabs. So in January, if you don't want to stand for your position or you want to stand for another position, you've got to nominate, let them, people know. And next month in February, you can nominate for any position you want to, and that's what's happened now. So there's a, there's a ballot out now for um, positions. There's a ballot. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, going back to when did you decide to put your hand up for a position? Yeah, well, probably 2003 yeah. when it, when it came up. So I thought 
wasn't really happy with the way things were going. I thought I could have done better. So I nominated for the position. I was a secretary, actually, mm-hmm. and became a secretary in, um, yeah, it was like there in 2003. And how long did you remain secretary for? Uh, 12 years. 12, 12 so, years? Yeah, 2003, yeah. So you so were re-elected four times? Three I was times. re-elected, yeah. yeah. Four three, times. Yeah. Three times. Yeah. Well, the members must have thought you were doing a good job. <laughs> You know, I, I do, I do, I do have an issue with the Maritime Union of Australia. I've been there in Island Street a few times. What's happened to the poor old lumpers? My old man was a lumper when he came to Australia as a migrant. His first job, he was a lumper. Because mm-hmm. I noticed that you got the lumpers banner up there. What's happened to all the lumpers? <laughs> They're fried machinery now. They're machinery. Yeah. I don't think people know what a lumper is, do they? No. You just basically got a bag of wheat on your shoulder and you carried it all night. Yeah. yeah that's what old man did for years. Just, yeah. you know, just line up. You get so was that why you become a, a back doctor? <laughs> no, 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 no. He was a, he was a lumper. I just, I just, I just, I kind of felt almost teary when I saw this lumpers banner that you've got upstairs there for the lumpers union. It's a whole category of work that's just disappeared, you know? Yeah. It's just extraordinary. So is this the story of the docks, that jobs are disappearing, mechanisation's coming in? Yeah, they are. It's been going on for a while. I suppose containerisation had a huge effect on employment. I think at one mm. time there was like 20,000 people working on the wharfs in Melbourne, yeah? Mm. yeah. They'd get, you know, 17-man gangs would get 100, 100 tonne of cargo to lift, you know, in a shift, and mm. they'd be happy with that. Right now you can do it in probably one minute. In one minute, what 70 men did in one shift. Yeah. So how many people do you think, can you tell us how many think you think work on the wharves these days in Melbourne? Yeah, well in Melbourne we've got probably, um, there's two main container terminals, that's Patrick's, there's probably 370 there, there's mm-hmm. DP World, so there's about 600, yep. ICTS which is an uh, automated terminal, that is about, I think about 60, 70. 60, so yeah. would you have 10,000 members around Australia? Yeah, there's about twelve, uh, about fourteen thousand members. Fourteen thousand. Yeah. Because we're also not not only the wharfers, but also also um, sea, seafarers union too. Seafarers union and port workers. Yeah. Yeah. So when did the seafarers and uh, port workers meld into the maritime union? That became that was nineteen ninety two. Ninety nine. Seamen's Union of Australia and the Waterside Workers Federation. Yeah. Amalgamated to join the to become the MUA. Right. So what what's the job of a secretary of a major union? Well, you have. You've sort of got the overseeing of the whole branch, mm-hmm. you know. We've got um, our relationship with other unions, trades all, our relationship with politicians mm-hmm. and what we need to, to get. Mm-hmm. There's all the EBAs, probably 54 EBAs we do in, in the Victor- we did in the Victorian branch. What, 54 enterprise bargaining agreements? Yeah, yeah. So that's right. why when people say, you know, we used to have all an award system. We had mm-hmm. one award system, so you do a Stevenor award and that covered everyone in there. Yep. Nowadays, we've probably got, I don't know, 12... 13, 14 Steve Doran agreements to negotiate. Wow. And they take a lot of time, usually. Sometimes they'll take two years, three years to negotiate them. Mm. And I assume as a secretary, you wander in about 10 and leave about two. Is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing is you never, you never um, away from it. And even when you haven't got, um, yeah. even when you're not at work, your mind's still on it. And so people are phoning you all the time and things are happening. And you're, you're basically a fireman, aren't you? Yeah, I suppose, yeah. It's, well, yeah. As a secretary, you would yeah. be. As a secretary, you've always got the responsibility. At the end of the day, the, the buck stops with you. you know? mm. So if things aren't right in the branch, you've got to do what you need to do to fix mm. them up. Mm. How did you yeah. last nine years? How did that go? Now, how did you last yeah. that how long? How did I last? It's, it's, it's Twelve, years. Twelve years. Twelve yeah, years. Yeah. My apologies. Yeah. Twelve years. So 2015 yeah. is when you... Well, when I lost the election, because I lost the you election. You lost the election? Yeah. <laughs> I woke up that night and I thought... 
Yeah. This isn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> all the things that have been keeping me awake all night, someone else oh. is worrying now. Oh. So, yeah. I won't ask you why you lost the election. Well, I didn't get enough people to vote for me. That's well, why. Well, that's what happens, yeah. yeah. People have high expectations. The MUA has got high expectations of their officials, so, yeah. 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 Is that why they rolled over into the CFMEU last year? Well, probably it's, you know, we've always been pretty close to the CFMEU. Every time we'd had a national council, the CFMEU would be there at our national councils, and we'd quite often be at their mm-hmm. ones too. Mm. So we've always had a close association with them, and probably politically, they're probably the closest union to us. Mm. And um, yeah, also just the amount of resources that they've got, you know, it just makes common sense, you know, for us to be able. To, it's a wonderful thing for our union mm. to be part of something bigger. So, so what role do you have? In, do you have your actual your own? You still got your own secretary, or have you yeah, yeah, no, know? we've got the MUA still stays as a division of the CF double MEU. Yeah, yeah, CFMEU. So, yeah. yeah. But each each division of the CFMEU is separate. There's a mining division, there's a construction division, right. a manufacturing division, or we're the maritime division of it. So the whole MUA is fitted slotted into there, but we're part of of the CF. So, so, so are you governed now by the uh, was it Australian Building uh, Construction Commission? That uh, yep, we are. You are. Now. We're, we're covered by the ABCC because we carry cement and steel and things like that. So you can you can be called in any time of the day or night and kind yeah, of we cool. you've got, you got, you got less rights than a, a drug dealer or a drug <laughs> importer. You realise that as a worker in this <laughs> yeah. country, you've got less rights than somebody who's imported a, a billion dollars worth of cocaine or meth. That's right. Yeah. People don't understand that, do they? No, nah, it's. Like it's bizarre, and even yeah. we used to the interrogation room for the CF, for the ABCC used to be in the, the American Embassy. Oh right, that's even better. <laughs> it's in Kilda Road. There. That was even better. Yeah, it shows you who's running the running the show. Now talk about the American Embassy. Have you done a bit of travelling? I have done yeah travelling yeah. yeah. I went to Venezuela yeah. in uh, 2010, yeah. and actually we're having a fundraiser for them right now as we speak oh, right. at the MUA rooms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. People so, can what go on to about six or seven tonight? Yeah, it'll be till about or well, yeah. probably about seven or eight. Or, no, seven yeah. o'clock. We've got oh, actually a hip hop yeah. band, yeah, Latin American hip hop band from the Bronx. Yeah, and um, they've been going all over the world. They actually played in Venezuela, and they're actually going to do one song at the yeah. rooms. Yeah, yeah. About seven o'clock if you're there, yeah. and I'm um, going to speak about what, how they found in Venezuela too. And actually speaking about, you know, uh, what the situation is in there. Because if you listen to the mainstream media here, Maduro's a dictator, you know, it's been run, and the, and the government's stopping aid from coming in. Mm. The fact is, they've got more oil reserves than any, any country on earth, including Saudi Arabia, you know. And they've currently got the strongest sanctions ever put on any country by the USA. Worse than North Korea? Worse than North Korea, mm. yeah. Now, and there's no threat to, there's no threat to the USA. They've got no, no. weapons of mass destruction or anything. No. But it just goes to show you they're not even trying to cover it up now. You know? So what did you what did you find it like when you were in there in 2010? Yeah, well, it wasn't paradise, you know. No, no, no there was no, power paradise. shortages. You know, yeah. there was. But what they'd done is they they used to get like one percent of um, oil royalties for their oil. Mm-hmm. They increased it to thirty percent. Right. They reduced poverty from like seventy percent of the population mm-hmm. to twenty percent. Mm-hmm. They'd increased the universities from five universities to thirteen universities. Education was free from from kindergarten to university. They had the fifth highest rate of attendance at universities of any country. So it was moved. Things were moving in the right direction. They had re-education pl- programs for people of all ages, whoever wanted to be trained, and they had like communities being set up with local councils that would go to the government and say, this is what we need for our area. You know? so, so, are fa- so are the famous toilet paper shortages due to sanctions, basically? Well, yeah, the toilet, <laughs> not only the toilet papers, but medicines, you know, yep. 
I think they had a plane load of medicines coming from Abu Dhabi, a refuel in um, Spain. The Spanish mm. government came in and took all the medicines out of there. Yeah. So even things like um, insulin, you can't get there now. So that's why we're having this fundraiser. It's to raise things, it's to get things like um, generators, uh, water pumps, you know, tools, mm. also antibiotics, yeah. you know, and anything, you know, so beds, so crutches, it, anything like that. 46 Island Street. 46 to 54 Rowland Street, yeah. West Melbourne, yeah. West Melbourne. So people can wander down after the interview or they can wander down while they're listening to their tram and their <laughs> which is good. They can. They've got a barbecue there too. You've got a barbecue yeah. too. So well, if you're hungry, call in. Yeah, well, make sure you turn out your pockets before you go out. Otherwise, <laughs> Kevin will turn them out for you. So you're still working on the waterfront? Yeah, still work on the waterfront. We actually kept, the, you know, the people who work working. And when we did the EBAs, so that you go back. If you went out to the union, you went back to your last job, and that's where I went to. I'm back at Patrick's now, driving the straddle around. And what do you reckon about that? Fantastic. You like us? I think we've done pretty well. <laughs> we've got pretty good conditions off the employee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm happy. enjoying it. Yeah. But are you going to kind of be mechanised out of existence? What's this about these fully automatic ports? Yeah, well, it could be. I mean, as I said, ICTS was fully automated. They had, you know, to ridiculous things like pinning machines and everything, which don't actually work. They tried to automate the cranes. Now they've actually got people driving them because they were too slow. Mm. So it's a whole way of looking at things, you know, is it what's the whole point of, um, at the end of the day, they can have everything mechanised, and what benefit is to people, you know? So and what benefit is it to the company? What, yeah, that's right. It's like the old... <laughs> <laughs> they, the union official, who walk, they walk through the uh, fully automated uh, car terminal, he goes, have a look, our machines won't lose one day on strike. He goes, that's right, and they won't buy one car either. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's good. You got any... Um you must be getting on in age. How old are you now, Kev? 61. 61. Is there a mandatory retirement age for you? No, it used to be the union used to specify you had to give it away when you were 60 years old, but that's illegal to do that now, so, oh, right. so you now can you can be working till you, till you turn all that, curl up your toes. And all, all the kids left home? Yeah, all, yes. Yeah. yeah, they're all... But, you know, they're welcome to come back any time. Oh, right? no, no. I yeah. mean, I mean they, they, yeah. they, they, they've gone on their own path. That's their job. At 61, if you've got nine grandkids, I mean... <laughs> It'll be like the old days, wouldn't it? You know? <laughs> well, it's wonderful, mate. You know what? I love it. I love having them around. It's the best part of my life when everyone comes around and, yeah. Yeah. and we're together. Yeah. So you do have big family days? Yeah, we do, yeah. Oh, that's good. And uh, poor Wendy, what, what does she think about you retiring? Is she encouraging you to stay on the docks? <laughs> well, at least she knows you know, I'm at home, not just in body now. Yeah. <laughs> I can think about what I'm doing at home too. Because yeah. at the end of the shift, you just close your... You don't have to worry. Are you, you going to re kind of put your hand up again? No, no, no. no. There's other people who want to run, you know, so leave it for them. And I'll assist anyone I can then. It's important the union is strong and it's very important, you know, people need to realise that, you know, we never had any of those conditions that we've got that make this a great country to live because the employer or the government gave them to you. Everything was struggled for. You're kidding. You're kidding, Kevin. They didn't just give it to you? Tell you no lie. You mean those four-year-old kids who were working in the mines in England during the Industrial Revolution, they... They weren't doing it because they liked it. <laughs> You're kidding! I've always been told the employer gives gives in the government. Yeah. You mean you working collectively together have won all these things that everybody's forgotten about, yeah. like a decent wage and uh, decent conditions and holidays, a decent life and holidays, uh, eight-hour day, yeah. penalty rates, penalty rates. Well, they're going. <laughs> what? So, what does May Day mean to you? It's the first of May today. Yeah, well, I suppose it's very important that people do. Remember the struggles that people have made, mm. so that and paid with their own blood. You know, mm. that got us to live where we are now. I look back at the um, 28 dispute 
1928 dispute where people were shot at by the police or shot and killed by the police. Yeah. You know, and then they, for years, they were never ever got a job until all the scab unions were picked up first and then they got a job then. Those people never go away the union ticket. They kept on, they paid enormous prices for it, but that penalty is one enormous, you know, conditions for us on the work now. Mm-hmm. And it's very important that we think about that. That was told to me, it's not your job, you're just mine until the next bloke comes along. Mm-hmm. So we want to have a decent country to live in, then we need to actually work together and cooperate with each other so we can get a better outcome for the people who are going to come after so, us. So May Day brings back a lot of memories, does it? Brings back a lot of memories, yeah, but it's also very important that we are, it's not about looking at the past, but it's how we're going to protect the future and make yeah. it a decent country. Because it's, it's been a very tough 40 years, not just for trade unionists, but a lot of people in this country. Some have done very well. You know, the 8% of Australians who own a second home and negative gear have done very well, but uh, the 30 per- 30% on Social Security benefits have not done very well at all, and uh, most of the rest of us are up in hock up to our ears in order to survive. I assume you were up in hock up to your ears at some stage in your life? Yes, well, my kids were worse than that. My kids were up to their, up the hock up to their ears, that's for sure. And I see how much I owe now, you know. Yeah, like yeah. it was much easier. Forty years ago, that's I could right. have a, I could yeah. work one job and I'd have four kids and buy a house at the same time. That's right. And live, you weren't living, in, you know. No. You know, lavishly, but you had a decent life and you could do things. Nowadays, it's not the case, you know. Even the way people work on weekends and that. If mm-hmm. they call you, you know, you got a job, you wait by the phone, and they ring you up and tell you when you can come in. That's not, you know, that's no way to live, and it doesn't no, need to no be like to live, that. Yeah. And to tell you the truth, you know, the biggest, you know, we had that Bank of Royal Commission. Well, the first thing they should have said, have you got the money you're lending people? Mm. They haven't. What other industry gets to charge people for something they haven't got? Mm. It's just a matter of fact, you know, yeah. that, you know, the banks have got the money. No, they haven't. With fractional reserve banking, they lend out a 100 times more than what they've actually got in the bank. So That's this right. is a matter of and the, why they talk about the um, the debt problem. We can never ever pay it back because all that money is interest-bearing credit. Mm. You not only have to pay the 400000 that they didn't have, oh. but you have to pay interest on that as well. Mm. So it's a big scam, you know, and that's what people need to think. You wouldn't need to work, you know, as hard as you did and as long as you did if you weren't paying all that money back to a bank, you know. Right. And it's it's those... It's what they've, the changes that they've made over the last 40 years, you know, they deregulated the financial markets. And that's what's let the genie out of the bottle. We used to have the state, the state bank, you know, paid for the schools and the paid for roads and dams and things. We used to have the Commonwealth Bank, it paid for the First World War, Second World War, the Commonwealth Shipping Line, the Snowy Mountain Scheme. There's no reason why they can't do it now, but there's no political will to do it. And I've said this continually, you know, is that what you need to do with work is, you know, you need the materials, you need the people to do it, you need the, you know, the need for it, and you need the money to pay for it. That's the only thing that's ever missing. And what we're doing is we're giving few people the control of that, which just gives us, takes away the power from people. Mm. We can be a lot better than what we are in this country, Mm. and it's up to people to get together, you know, and talk about it. So, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done, Joe, but people need to realise, they need to have bit of confidence in each other that we can work together and we can do it better than what we're doing right now. Yeah, I think people have forgotten the lessons of the past. If you look historically, you look at the history of the, uh, you know, Labor Day in March, the history of May Day, history of struggle in this country, right back to 1791, three days after, what, three years after colonisation began, when the convicts gathered, gathered together in a tumultuous manner to demand that their rations be paid weekly, not monthly. And then I don't know if you know about this chap, uh, his name was, I think it's Charles Stainer, S-T-A-I-N-T, 1822, the first strike in the history of Australia, you know, he, uh, 
he was a convict. He organised a strike during the lambing season on MacArthur's estate, the richest man in New <laughs> South Wales. And what did he get? He was charged with inciting, inciting his fellow, his, inciting, inciting the workers to demand a fair wage. And what did he get for his troubles? 500 lashes. One month solitary confinement if he survived on bread and water and then spend the rest of his life in jail. That was the price this man paid for organising the first strike in Australian history. Now everybody knows about Bloody MacArthur, you know, a rich landowner and a very evil man. Nobody knows about Mr Stainer who was at, there at the very beginning of that resistance you know, which created, as you said, created the, all the things we take for granted today as people working collectively. Mm-hmm. Now, have you got any um, advice no, for young people like me? Brief, briefly, <laughs> yeah. Of, when the first fleet was sailing here, the yeah. crew hadn't been paid. The crew, crew of the Cyrus hadn't been paid. They refused to sail. That's right. So they didn't sail that day. They got paid. And they got, the delegates got flogged. Yeah. And they sailed the next day. Yeah, yeah. But I think that was the second fleet. Okay. The first fleet, the first fleet was actually government funded because they wanted to get all the people off the hulks. The second fleet had a huge death rate because it was privately funded. Uh, and that's why they weren't paid because it was privately funded. The first fleet, the death rate was very minimal uh, among the convicts and, and the sol- and the marines. But it was the, the Cyrus, I'm pretty confident it's the second fleet there. So you've got to get history right, Kev. I reckon it was the first fleet. There. Cyrus, I reckon it was a flagship well, of the first fleet. Well, we'll see. Most likely you're right well, and I'm no, wrong. Gonna... Most likely you're right and I'm wrong. <laughs> no, no. But I'm just saying, people stood together. Yeah, stood exactly together. right. And that's yeah. why people yeah. need to do it now and yeah. have the confidence to do it too. So if you're listening to this program and you're not, and you're working and you're not unionised, what, what do you think people should do? Well, you need to, um, it's, it was always drummed into me, you know, mm. you join a union because it's collective strength, you know. But it's you talk to your workmates, you know, bring up the union. But work together, you have to be prepared to work with each other, you know. Mm. You know, a lot of the shows they have on TV now, like, you know, they're all about Fighting sticking up your mate, yeah. you know, yeah. back backbiting, stabbing people in the back, yeah. you know, yeah. and working yeah. again. That's, that's, they put it across as entertainment, but it's actually... Mm. It's actually um, propaganda, you know, I, I didn't, I, and getting I didn't, people yeah. to think that way. Yeah, but people, think, it's not a way that people think naturally the bloke would watch The Bachelor, there, Kev. Well, it sounds like you're watching The Bachelor. Well, <laughs> my wife watches shows. Agree <laughs> <laughs> with. She sends me out the room because <laughs> you just make derogatory comments. Yeah, yeah. but uh, no, it's true. Yeah, it's true. It's all about. It's, it's all about, about. It's about dividing people yeah, up. It's yeah. not the way it works, yeah, you know. Yeah. People need to work together and help each other and be honest with each other, you know. Yeah. And that way you can you can make real progress. You can't, or whatever you make is no good. Even if you win the prize, you're not going to feel good about yourself when you, you know, not when you're working against people there. So we can. There's a great possibility to make it better, but we have to be honest with each other, you know, mm-hmm. what we're doing. Are there any particular things which are really annoying you at the minute? Um, Non-family-wise, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Nah, well, as far well, there's an election coming up. There's yeah. an election coming up. How, yeah. how, how do you, you know, I've seen you out there giving out how to vote cards. So how do, how, how do you feel about the forthcoming election? Do you feel Well, I want to get rid of the current government. I'll yeah. say that. I'll yeah. say that clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly. You don't because it's, a bit, it's been about, you know, dividing people up and, you know, yeah. demonising refugees and things like that, mate. If you're going to go and bomb countries after yeah. country, yeah. you're going to have refugees, okay? 
And if we cause that war, you've surely you've got some responsibility to look after those people yeah, we too. We look after them in Manasol and Nauru, don't we? We uh, spend a billion dollars. It's demonised, and that's what happens. You yeah. demonise dog whistle politics we've had here for 20 years in yeah. this country, yeah. and you talk about that's why things like yeah. happen over yeah. in Christchurch, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're demonising people, you yeah. can't do that. You well, know? it's not just, not just demonising Aboriginals and, uh, you know, uh, refugees and asylum seekers, but they demonise the whole 30% of Australians are on social security benefits. They're on welfare. Yeah. It's a social security benefit scheme. It, it benefits everybody. They're on welfare. They get the dull, you know, the language. They have used language in a way to denigrate people, millions of people in this country, and, and deny them a, a future. And that's what they do. You know, they put this poison in our heads, you know, because somebody's living in a housing estate, they're somehow there. They're different, you know. It's just terrible. Yeah. Now, but you're right, in housing, you know, it's one of the few things that makes money for the government. That's right. You know, public, public housing, housing yeah, is a money tax. income, right. and that money that appreciates on the houses, you know, is a yeah. is a gain for the government. So, yeah. what they're trying to do is privatise that now too. Well, it was a big. I think it was a big negative for the Andrews government, and they realised it just at the cusp of the election when they promised they would build another thousand public housing units, which I doubt they will. And the fact they moved Mr. Farley, you know, into another uh, portfolio mm. because that is that is their Achilles' heel. It's just mm. extraordinary. This is not. I know you're a member of Labor Party at one stage, but this is not the type of party that, you know, you expected them to no. be privatising. We have a look at how, how far it's moved in the last, say, 30 years, you know, how much the ALP's mm. moved from what it is, you know. Mm. At the end, when Malcolm Fraser died, you wished him was leading the Labor Party, you know. Yet he was a devil in himself in the 1980s, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the trouble is that, you know, we've become like a neoliberal party. Whichever one you get, you're going to get neoliberal politics. And that is always going to push back on working people that cut to take their bunny off them, you know. There's no escaping it. That system that we've got now has to be changed, you know. You know and just talking about, you know, mm. things that hurt me, it's about the way we just follow the US into every war they want to go to, you know. Mate, stand, have some balls and say, this is our country, we'll decide, you know, and let's have a vote in Parliament whether we go to war or not, you know. Mm. And you should never ever commit your troops to go and fight another country unless there's a need for it. We're not in any danger no. from Afghanistan. No. We weren't in any danger from Iraq. No. We're not in any danger from Syria, you know. No. And yeah, we have to even, you know, listen to shows and was a show on um, mm. Anzac Day about you know, SAS and, and yeah. at the end the bloke said we had a bit more ability to say no, we're not going to go and join these wars. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, there's a half a million people out in 2003 before the Iraq invasion here in Melbourne. Yeah. Half a million. 14th just, of February. Yeah, yeah, just totally, totally ignored, yeah. pushed aside. And they were right. Everything they said, they were right. Yeah. That's, that's what I've noticed about the uh, progressive left in this country is 99% of what they say is correct. You know, and history uh, shows that it's correct. Yeah. So... You got any plans for yourself for the future, apart from working till you're 82 on the docks? <laughs> well, I like to keep healthy, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I like to be, yeah, if you're going to be around, you're going to, you need to be, it's, if you haven't got your health, Joe, you know, oh, nothing's terrible. any good to you, no, no money or anything else too. So no. I like keeping healthy, I like to be with the family, I like to help my family out, no. I like to try and make this a better world. There's IPAN, Independent Peaceful Australian Network, people can join, there's a Spirit Eureka, you know, we've got the Clary O'Shea, um, on the 15th of May at the uh, Newport um, to substation. Could you so imagine a half a million people marching for a trade unionist who was jailed in Melbourne in 2019? Yeah, well, could you imagine People that? need to know. It was done, 
you can do things that we can do. That's you right. can make changes. You, you can know? make the change. But needs to, people need to be resolved in what they're going to do and mm. have some confidence mm. in what they're going to mm. do too. Mm. So it's not going to happen overnight, but people have to start working towards well, it. Well, I've been following closely what's been happening with the social revolution in Sudan in the last three months, and extraordinary things have happened there over the last three months. I mean, people power, no assistance from outside. They broke up a conference of the Islamic Brotherhood. They want to get rid of Sharia law. They threw out a dictator. They've got the military, you know, at bay. They've got the militias at bay. And there's just people power. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, day after day after day after day. And that's what we don't have here. We, you know, we have one mass protest and little protests, but there isn't that desire. I think Australians have lost the capacity to believe that they can change things, you know, on the streets. I think we've lost that capacity. What do you think? Well, we still do it in the streets every now and again, and we usually do it better than the other other states. Oh, much better. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the Eureka. That's the Eureka legacy. Now, I'm going to ask you some questions because it's May Day, and you, you know you've been a secretary of the MUA. Now, where was the first May Day demonstration held in Australia? Um, the banks of the Yarra. Wrong. We heard of the big Shearer strike on yeah, the eastern yeah, seaboard. Yeah. First of May, 1891. 1,000 shearers, 600 on horseback, marched in Bok Calden in Queensland, just before the Labor Party was formed in 1892. So that was the first May Day. And the Eureka flag was actually flown because they saw that as their, their flag. You know, So that's 1st of May, the shearers, the Australian shearers. But you know about 1892 and Chummy Fleming, obviously, here in, in Melbourne. And uh, this morning we've been down at the 8-hour monument to celebrate May Day here. You know, 1st of May, 1892, Chummy Fleming, anarchist, activist, legendary activist in Melbourne, organised the first May Day march from the Birkin Wills Monument down to the Arrow Bank in 1892. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of history. Yeah. So this, this Sunday is the, is the May Day March? Yeah, May Melbourne. Day March, traditional lay May March from trade tours at uh, 11 o'clock or 12 uh, 12. Twelve, twelve, twelve thirty. Yeah. yeah, around twelve thirty, yeah. and uh, so it'll be a march through the city, and it's yeah. very important people to get there. You yeah. know, yeah. people need to remember this is also recognising the people, the sacrifices that other people have made before that to give yeah. us what we've got now. Well, that's right. They've got Anzac Day, and they've got the day when they, you know, they, they give you a clock after fifty years working. But uh, May Day is a day, as you said, you recognise the sacrifices people made. Whereabouts in the city does the march start from on Sunday? From trade, from the trade hall at okay. the front of trade hall, in the corner of uh, Victoria and Ligon Street. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah, well, it's a pity you missed uh, this morning's gathering down at the Eight Hour Monument, and then we walked down to Her Majesty's Theatre. You know why Her Majesty's Theatre? No. Because the first May Day was actually organised by the first organisation, which was this anarchist organisation we set up in Australia, the Melbourne Anarchist Club, on the 1st of May, 1886. And why are they set up on the 1st of May? Because in 1884, the Federated uh, Unions of Canada and the United States declared the 1st of May, 1886, to be a day of international protest for the eight-hour day. And do you know that Johnny Norton, never heard of Johnny Norton? He was the Australian delegate to the conference of the Second Internationale in Paris in 1891, which made the decision to make the 1st of May a day of international protest for working people across the globe. So Australia has been there from the very beginning, you know, celebrating May Day and uh, recognising it as an important day. So it's been a, a pleasure having you here today, Kevin. Thanks very much, Joe. I hope you enjoy your May Day, and I hope you enjoy your May Day on the 5th. <laughs> you get two May Days. You're a lucky man. 
And uh, if you ever decide to, uh, you know, stand for election again for the MUA, give me a call. I'll you organise your next campaign because I think you'd re- you really need a good organiser, mate. Thanks, you know, Joe. All the best. <laughs> See you, mate. All the best. Yeah. Mm-hmm.